Today's sermon is called Dancing with the Giant. Probably not going to surprise you with the ending on this one because it's a pretty familiar story. But there are some principles uh, that are in here that are, that are just rich and uh, the Lord's going to remind us of some of those today. First Samuel 17, let's pick up the story here. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp at Iphes Damon between Soka and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Israel's arch enemy had come against the people of God, the nation of Israel, and they had come to destroy them. In that valley, it was a mile wide, so stretched on one hillside, half mile up was the army of Israel. Across on the other side, a half mile up the hill, was the Philistine army, and they were going to clash in the middle. The key to Israel's victory, uh, amazingly, would be a teenage boy who had great faith in God. We're going to talk about that today. Let's pray. Father, uh, the, the Bible's so wonderful. Thank you, God, for leaving us this love letter to help us through life. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to people today about what they're facing. God, all of us face giants. The circumstances of life are, are difficult, and we can't escape that. And Lord, what, what, we, what we have, though, is your hand and your power to lead us and guide us and strengthen us. So, so do that today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get ahead of the battle a little bit and, and talk about this life of David before he faced this giant. First thing I see that is uh, meaningful to me here is, is this principle, and, and we see it in David's life. Some people in your life will not believe in you. It's just true for all of us. There are going to be people in your life who don't believe in you. Now that, that you may think is discouraging, not, in, not encouraging, but it actually can be very encouraging to know that these things happen to everyone. There's not a famous person, wonderful person, powerful person in the world that didn't have a number of people who, who didn't think they could do it. People don't believe in them. And people won't believe in you at times. First Samuel 16, 1, we pick up the story there. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, this king had gone his own way, wasn't following God, and God rejected him. Text goes on to say, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab was the older brother and evidently looked strong and handsome and looked wise. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now that's a famous passage of scripture and it's so powerful. And I, I, uh, I just love that thought. We live in a world that's uh, supremely focused on image and appearance. Uh, formal education appears to be a necessity in, in this current culture. It's being pushed that way. But character seems to be of minimal importance this day. And what God is saying is, hey, character is what's most important to me. I'm glad for that. 
Last night I spoke at an event and I felt that the Lord did great things and it was fun and the Holy Spirit was there. And I, I, I went into the restroom and when I looked in the mirror, I was reminded of something. I still think of myself as kind of young and handsome. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, oh yeah, I'm the old guy now. I forgot, you know, that I don't look the way I feel, uh, you know, all, all the time. But the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I feel pretty good in life. You know, I'm doing fine. But I'm so glad because, you know, as we get older, our face falls and it can't get up. And, you know, this whole appearance thing and, and, and mirrors are, are important. The Bible talks about the Bible being a mirror in one passage in James. And, and, and if we're not coming back to take a look, we don't know what we look like. And ladies, you like to, you know, have the mirror to put the makeup on. And somebody said a long time ago, if the barn needs painting, paint it. So what, whatever, you know. But, but the point is, none of that's really that important to God. None of it. It's all a cultural thing that we're into. What God is into is the heart. And that's so cool because all of, we can't always look good. I mean, I, you know, it's just, it just gets harder and harder and, and, and it's more and more difficult. But we can take care of our own hearts. We can manage that. We can make sure our hearts, our hearts uh, that are growing as we're in the word, that are focused on God. And that's so cool to me that we can always look better and better to God with our hearts. First Corinthians, or rather, First Samuel 16 says this, verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him, we will not sit down until he arrives. Please notice that not even David's dad thought about him as the one who could be king. He didn't even call him in from the fields. It might have been because he's young. But young people, the Bible says, don't let anyone despise your youth. Here we're seeing that the key to a victory was a teenager. Hey, don't tell me teenagers can't change the world. I've watched them do it too much in my lifetime. Every major revival in America started with youth. Did you know that? Historically. Uh, and, and usually with college students, but, but, but that age group can have a profound impact. And David's dad, whatever the reason, there might have been other reasons, I don't know their relationship, but he didn't even call him to be looked at. And we know that not only David's dad didn't think of him, but Eliab, his older brother, the one he said God hasn't chosen him. We saw that earlier when I read the text. Eliab says to David at one point when he shows up in the camp, you're conceited and you have a wicked heart. So not even his brother believed in it. No, his family couldn't see it. Now, let me just share another character with you that people didn't believe in. His name is Jesus Christ. And you'd think his family would believe in him, right? You'd think that the people in his town, after all, watching him grow up, they would, they would see how great he was and notice it right away. But that wasn't the case. Mark 6, verse 3 the, the people in the city are talking, and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, now these are the words of Christ, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Not even his hometown or his relatives understood what a call he had on his life or who he was. So if people don't believe in David that are close to him, 
And then there, there are people around you who don't believe in you. Don't be surprised. It's really just the way it works in life. And you have to be careful. Now listen to me. I'm saying that so you can be careful not to be discouraged when people don't believe in you. Thank the Lord there are always people who do. He makes those people show up too. And let's try to be the people who say the positive, encouraging words instead of those who don't believe in others. I mean, you may be tempted at times to say, look, I don't think you've got that in you or whatever, but I've just learned in life, don't say that. Let, let a dreamer dream and, and, and pray for them and, and try to be a, an encouragement to them as much as possible. What does it cost to give a little kindness and encouragement? Nothing. So let's be those people. You know, the word tells us uh, that we should encourage one another. But I hear some questions for each of you. Are you gonna let people who don't believe in you define who you are? Just a thought. I wouldn't recommend it. Man, in this setting where I'm at, along the way, I've had a bunch of people who didn't believe in me that sit, sit in these chairs. There may be a couple today. I don't know you, so don't, don't tell me. But, but, hey, it's just the way it is. Sometimes we can, we can win people if we just have integrity and faithfulness with, with our lives. Sometimes you never do for whatever reason. But don't, don't, let, don't let people who don't believe in you define who you are. Another question, do you really believe that God can do great things through your life even with your limitations? Every person in this book that was used greatly by God was imperfect. And if you're like me early on in life, I, I kept telling God, you know what? I'm the guy who's failed. I'm the guy who's made mistakes. You, surely you have someone else that you could use instead of me ironically, what I didn't know is God is looking for people who know that they can't do it on themselves. Self-confidence can really hurt you in working for the Lord. We'll talk about that a little bit more. It's not necessarily bad, but if that's all you're moving in is your own gifts and abilities and your self-confidence, it's not gonna go well for you um, as far as ministry, the Lord moving through your life. Now, I didn't say this in the first service, but I, but I wanna speak to the young people for just, just a moment. There will be people at times who will say negative things to you and there, there, there's a number of emotions involved. Jealousy can be one of them. Um, um, you, you know, the success that you have uh, could bother them because they're not getting attention and, and uh, you know, to some degree, uh, if we'll give attention to people, that, that can just settle them down. You know, if they know that we really love them and believe in them, they, they tend to relax. But I, I really believe, whatever, whatever reason people don't believe in you, here's what I believe, and I, I'm, I'm going on, hopefully it's discernment. It might be a hunch. If it's a hunch, it's, it's, it's just a, a you know, human thing, but if it's discernment, it's a spiritual thing. I believe that there are young people in this church that are gonna have major visible impact in our world. I believe they're gonna be seen by a lot, and they're gonna give a lot of people, and they're gonna give glory to God in an incredible way. But I'm going to tell you, there are some Davids, there are some Esthers among us, but we don't know. And what I, what I would say to you is, is, would you just be careful to encourage the young people around here? Some of them, they've got one dream, but the Lord's going to divert them to another dream that's his, and it's going to be incredible. Some of them, none of us would, would see it. You know, I... I think of my own aunt who I heard when I was 10 years old from another room saying, 
Stanley, because that's, that's what all my relatives call me. I go to Missouri and I'm Stanley to everybody. And after all, that is my name. So I just put up with that. And, and, and she goes, Stanley, well, he, he, can't, he can't barely put sentences together and talk. He won't be a preacher. Now, I don't know what would possess her to say that. And she didn't know I heard. But at the time, I thought, fine, I don't want to be a preacher anyway. You know, that doesn't sound good to me. Um, but, but people can't, can't see what the Lord would do. I couldn't see it. I think of my friend Donnie Moore. You know, we all know him, right? There was a time in his life when he was a 19-year-old college student smashing beer cans on his head and riding on the hood of a car at 40 miles an hour through the university. I mean, he was a wild man. But he gave his heart to Jesus. And I, listen, nobody would have believed it when they heard later. If they knew him in the early, nobody would have believed that Donnie Moore became a great man of God. I think of Dick Foth, right? He's, <clears throat> I hear people say often he's their favorite speaker and I, I know I'm right behind close, as a close number two every time they say that. But he's my, one of my favorite speakers too. And, and um, I remember riding with his uncle. Uh, we were at a camp together for a week and, and I heard he was Dick's uncle and, and I didn't know Dick as well as I do now, but I'd heard him speak and he just phenomenal gift. And I said, boy, you could probably see it when Dick was young, huh, right away. Well, here's what I found out. Dick stuttered incredibly when he was a child. Can you believe that? He, he couldn't get a sentence out. And his uncle said, I got to be honest with you. Not only did I not see it, I didn't see it at all. I mean, in the family, we're all really surprised that Dick is doing what he's doing. And you just can't see it sometimes. And sometimes there's something that's in somebody's heart or a gift that's there. It just hasn't come alive yet. When, when they're young. 1 Samuel seven twelve, we see that he sent for David, he brought him in, and it says he was ruddy, and that means red, and some people think it's red hair, but more likely that it was red skin from, from being out in the sun so much. He had a fine appearance, and he was handsome, and the Lord said, rise and anoint him, he is the one. This teenager is the one. When others see a shepherd boy, Sometimes God sees a king. God knows. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from the Lord and that makes all of us candidates for being used greatly by God. In small things that people don't see that have great effect and huge visible things that God will use for his glory. Second thought I have for you today. That was the first. Some people won't believe in you. The second is this. Don't, don't despise the small things. And that comes from a scripture I'll read at the end of this point, but picking it up in verse 11 of chapter 16. So he asked Jesse, and this is a scripture I read previously, but I'm gonna point something out this time. Are these all the sons you have? And they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Tending the sheep. Don't despise the small things. Here's David. Someday he'll be king, but he's on the backside of the desert with a few sheep and nobody knows him. He's doing what he does with a heart to bless his dad, to be faithful to the work that he's been given and that responsibility and to love those sheep and protect them. But nobody knows him. No visibility which is kind of interesting because there was a bear that came to kill the sheep 
And the young teenager rose up and he killed the bear. You'd think that would spread through the land a little bit. But when he came into the camp, when they were about to uh, fight the Philistines, nobody said, oh, here's the guy that killed the bear. They didn't know. Nobody thought of him as a great warrior. Then, then a lion rose up <clears throat> in that small place where he was ministering to the sheep and watching them and being a good shepherd, and he killed the lion. Small place, small thing, but it was while David was doing the small things with no one watching that God was preparing him to kill the giant. You ever hear that terminology, tried in the furnace? And, and that is followed by coming forth as pure gold. There's something about the circumstances and these small things in life. You, you, have you heard the term bloom where you're planted? Just be, just give it your best. Whatever's right in front of you right now that God's given you, just give it your best. And God will use it. It will become the lion and the bear later in life as you win small victories here. They'll turn into bigger victories later because of your, your faithfulness to the Lord. First Samuel 17, 17. <clears throat> Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry them to their camp. Here's another small thing. David didn't go to the camp where they were about to fight in war to be a warrior. He was taking lunch to his brothers. If you'll be found faithfully doing the small things, you'll find yourself in the right place and you won't miss anything that God has for you. Keep your hand to what he's given you. See it as important. Give all your heart. And David just shows up with lunch not knowing that there was going to be an event that would take him to high visibility in his nation. He didn't despise the small things. He was faithful without complaining. Now, if we're not careful, you and I can start thinking, boy, I'm, I, I'm just not doing enough. I'm not seeing enough. I want better results. And, and then other things can creep in, like, like um, you know, no, nobody knows what I'm doing. And, you know, I had a, a great man of God tell me once, be careful when you start saying nobody appreciates me because that's fertile soil for the enemy. Nobody appreciates me. There are a lot of people who appreciate you and a lot of people who love you. And don't despise the small things. Just keep being faithful. You won't miss what God's called you to do if you just will do what he's given you right now faithfully. Matthew 25, 21 illustrates David's life. It's a principle from the word. The master was full of praise and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That's the way it works. You're faithful with the little things and God will just do more and more in your life. David began as a servant, being faithful to the few sheep he was given to watch over. And because of that heart, God took him to be the ruler of a nation and he served God well there. Zechariah 4.10, here it is. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. What we think of as small often turns out to bring great results. <clears throat> I've never shared this story, a little bit reluctant to, 
Um, but, but, I, but I feel like the Lord wants me to. <clears throat> Three years ago, I was walking with my parents. They lived here at the time. They've now moved to Missouri. And we walked um, onto Norwood, looking at the campus. The football field was manicured, and the building was in the background. And Mom was saying, that's so beautiful what the Lord's done. And I had just gone through a season where my parents, you know, you get a little older and stuff starts coming out of your parents that you never, you know, things they did you never knew about and, you know, life and what they were going through that you never realized was a trial because they, they cover it because they don't want to let you see all, all the hardship that they're facing. I didn't know, but, but my parents had said to me previously before this walk that they had had a really difficult juncture in their life where they thought about divorcing. <clears throat> it was when I was seven years old, and um, I, I just, I wouldn't have believed it. You know, I never saw, I never saw it. But dad was going through a hard time and was gone a lot, and mom almost left him. But dad changed and turned towards the Lord, and <clears throat> my mom um, heard the voice of the Lord and she hung in there and not only did it work out but it ended up working out great. <clears throat> they had a new marriage with the same partner and it was just cool. And um, as we were walking I, had, I thought about what they just told me a few weeks earlier and I looked at the building over here and, and I said to my mom, Mom, I want to thank you for staying together with Dad and not leaving him. Because if you had, I may not have been here to see this. I may, have not, I may not have led here. I may not have overseen the work that the Lord's doing. Because I don't know where I'd have gone if my dad was separated from us. Staying together may not seem like a great accomplishment in life. But you have no idea the good results that things like that can bring. My parents worked through it and they blessed me incredibly in my life as a couple, as mom and dad together in our home. Don't discount the small things because God is glorified in small things and uses them to accomplish great things. Third and final point this morning. When you face giants in your life, trust in the rock and you'll eventually win. 1 Samuel 17.4, here comes the giant, a champion named Goliath. Champion meaning he'd won a lot of battles already. Who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp and he was over nine feet tall. The NBA would have drooled over this guy. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day 
I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That is everyone but a little teenage boy who showed up carrying his brother's lunch. Everybody else was terrified, but this young man who'd seen the Lord slay the bear and slay the lion in his life said, why are we putting up with this mocker? He's not coming against Israel. He's coming against God. He can't defeat God. That's what he's, no one else. Here's the difference. None of the other people thought of anything but fighting the giant with their own abilities. That's why they were all afraid. And I'm telling you, there are going to come giants into your life that you cannot control the circumstances. You can't fix it sometimes. David showed up, and when he showed up, all he thought about was God's ability, not his own. One of our great temptations and one of our mistakes in life, mine and yours, is doing things in our own abilities. All of our plans, even when it comes to ministry sometime, if we're not careful, even if it comes to work, all of our plans, we think that we're the ones who can make it happen. So when we face trouble, we try to address the trouble with all of our skill. And it's a mistake not to invite the Lord's ability into those circumstances beyond our own. The giant was wearing 200 pounds of armor. That's what all those numbers translate to. The spearhead weighed over 25 pounds. And the nation's warriors feared. Have you ever been intimidated by the circumstances of a trial or a giant in your life? Hey, I understand this physical intimidation that these guys were feeling. I remember years ago, I was a 19-year-old in college, and I wasn't living for the Lord. And I went back to a high school playoff game. Dallas, Oregon was playing Pendleton. And the game was at Oregon State, and I was standing in the tunnel at the top of the stairs near the end of the game, just watching to see how it would end. And some guy, about 30 years old with a beard, came up to me and started talking like this. I thought he was talking to someone else, you know, so I just kind of looked at him and turned away. And then he got in front of me, and he started cursing, and I could smell beer. So I backed up a little bit, and I said, hey, I don't want any trouble. And he was saying some expletives, and then all of a sudden, kaboom, he hit me right in my eye. His ring left a knot on, my, on the cheekbone there. And I thought, what in the world? I don't even know this guy. I, evidently, he looked at me and thought, I want to fight. Hey, I could whip that skinny little guy, you know, and, and he just hit me. So I grabbed him, and he's swinging away. And as I hold on to him, I realize his balance isn't so great. He's drunk. And he just keeps swinging. And finally, I just, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying it's true. Finally, I just, bam, I just popped him. And he went head over heels down the stairs. And I got to tell you, I felt pretty good about that for just, just a moment, you know. I mean, it looked like a movie. You know, he's just going, I'm going, all right. And I kind of doing this thing. I turn around. Right behind me, hunched over me, was the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And he said something like this, you hit my friend. Where are the depends when you need them? That's all I want to know. 
I thought, oh my word, what have I done? I should not have done that. And then this guy, he starts on me and he's backing me up and I back into the tunnel and he's yelling and screaming that he's gonna kill me and all this stuff and, he's, and, he, and I'm, I'm terrified. I'm hugely intimidated. And there's a crowd in just a, just a few seconds, a crowd of 50 or 100 people at the snack shack, they're gathered around. And, then, and I can't even get out now, you know, and this guy's back, and I think, oh, God, what am I going to do here? And he turns for just a moment, and when he did, I ran at him as hard as I could and hit him. I knocked him over and knocked him into some garbage cans. Then I put one hand like this, another hand like this, and I turned around and ran as fast as I could from that place. I ran about four tunnels down and ducked in and went up into the crowd. I said, don't say anything, don't say anything. I'm hiding behind the fans, and he comes out, and he's poking his head out, and he's doing this, and he goes back, and I just stayed there for a while, and he never, he never got me. But that, I'm guessing he was six foot nine and 400 pounds. I'm, that's just a guess. He was huge, and I had made a mistake. I know what it is to be physically intimidated. These guys were feeling that times 10 with this giant. Not one of them wanted to take him on. Now, I was intimidated. intimidated. They were intimidated, but the teenager David wasn't. Here's what he said, and I love this line. I'm not going to explain it, but I love it. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice how he brings God into the picture when nobody else was using his name. Now, please notice in the first part of this point, I emphasize when you face the giants. Meaning all of us will. There's really an erroneous, bad doctrine that floats around in the Christian uh, scene in America. And it, and it says if you live for God and you stay close to God, that, that false doctrine says you'll never have pain or trouble in your life. Uh, you'll just be blessed in every way and, and prosper. Well, listen, certainly it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. But again, look at to, to follow Christ and it's better than not. But look at all the people in the Bible. Not one of the great men and women of the Bible escaped hardship in their life. Every one of them faced trouble. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a dumb doctrine that you can dispel easily if you actually read the word on a regular basis. Not listen to tapes. That's not necessarily bad, but if that's all you do, did, did you know that a tire gets, it, I know this because I've had to change my tires all too often and I, I didn't get the full mileage. If, if you let them just uh, run when they're out of balance, pretty, they just wear out faster. And if you live your life with an unbalanced doctrine out of the Bible because you're listening to somebody else who's speaking certain scriptures but not the total in balance, it's going to mess you up. And, and you're going to get worn out faster. And, it, and, and, you know, an unbalanced load in the washing machine causes a big ruckus too. And, and, and you got to stay balanced with the whole word. Now, I, I said that to, uh, to, to say this. Look, look at what the scriptures say in Matthew 7.24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Really, the emphasis is in the right place when most people talk about the house won't fall. That's really positive and it's true and it's good and it's the main point of the scripture. But don't miss the fact that every believer is gonna have rain coming down, streams rising and wind blowing and, and it'll beat against the house, you're going to have storms in your life. There are going to be giants in your life. And it doesn't mean you're bad. Sometimes it means you're living right for God and you're fighting on his behalf so the storms come. 
John 16, 33, the words of Jesus Christ. I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. He didn't say, if you're living wrong, you'll have trials and sorrows. He said, that's what happens on earth. You have trials and sorrows. But then he gives this positive, encouraging word, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So here's right doctrine. You will have trouble, but put your hand in the hand of Jesus and you'll overcome and he'll deliver you. Eventually, you'll come out if you trust in him and follow him. And sometimes when you come out on the other side, he was up to something you couldn't see and it's beautiful. All of us will have giants in our life. People will oppose us. Tragedies come, death comes, divorce comes, hardship, financial crisis. These things happen. We'll face our own failures at times. David will go through his life, face failures. But the worst thing you could do is not get up if you've been knocked down. God is a forgiving God, full of grace. He won't cast us aside. He still loves us. He still wants to use our lives, even when we make mistakes. Sometimes the giants are our own mistakes, and we, we just don't think we should try from that point. But God will use the difficult circumstances of our life in an incredible way. If we'll just trust in him, he delivers us. So I went to this um, meeting last night and, uh, and, I, and I was the speaker at the end of uh, the meeting. I don't go out and speak much anymore. I just, uh, it, it just this, this place requires most of my energy, this and my family. And so I, I don't want to deplete my energy in, a, in, in areas that I'm not called to be. Um, and so normally I'll say no, but when they asked me to speak for um, a ministry called Remember New, and it's a, it's a young lady's name from Cambodia, NHU, uh, is how you sit, spell it. I, uh, I originally thought, I'm not gonna do it, and, and, but I try to pray when I'm asked to do things, and I prayed, and I felt like the Lord was saying, no, I want you to do this. And uh, I, the ministry's a great, great ministry, and I love what they're doing, so um, I had Karen call, who's my wife and administrative assistant as well, and um, tell them that I would do it. Well, so I went there last night. I had no idea. I got incredibly blessed last night. It's such an amazing story uh, and testimony that I heard. And I want to recount it to you. Because there's a young lady named Nu who faced a giant, but she overcame. Here's how the story goes. There was a man named Carl Ralston, who was just a businessman from Ohio, sitting in a church much like you are today. Not a, not a pastor, not a licensed minister, just a businessman who loved the Lord. And at some point during a week that he was living in, in, in church life, he heard about child sex trafficking, and was deeply moved. He didn't know that there were 1.2 million young ladies and young men that were trapped in, and pulled into this sexual slavery uh, every year in the world. And, and, and it really impacted his heart. Well, later, shortly after, he hears a missionary who comes to tell a story of a young girl in Cambodia. And he puts her picture up, and she's just a beautiful young lady, 12 years old. And the missionary talks about this young lady who came and got saved at the church where he was ministering and her beautiful spirit and how wonderful she was. But then he talks about going on furlough and he was appalled when he got back from furlough. I believe the town was Phnom Penh in Cambodia. And he realized that this young lady's Buddhist grandmother had sold new 
that was her name, into sexual slavery. This beautiful girl who'd given her heart to Christ was now gone, vanished, and he couldn't find her. And when the missionary told that story, God gripped Carl Ralston's heart, this businessman. And he heard a whisper that he recognizes from the Lord, and here's what it was, remember new. He said it wasn't audible, but it was vivid, and he turned to try to figure out more information because he didn't know exactly what that meant, but he understood that it, that it wasn't just about the people group, that it was about the young lady. Remember new. Well, New was there to tell her story last night as well. She had to have a visa to come in and she won't be able to come over here very much so it was quite a privilege to hear her tell her testimony last night. When she was sold, she was taken to a doctor to be medically checked to prove that she was a virgin. Then shortly after that, she was taken to a hotel room where she was pushed into a room with a 30-year-old man who had his way with her for three days. She said, I knew I had to do what he told me to do, but during those three days, she was praying to God and she prayed this prayer. Twelve-year-old little girl. God, help me. She prayed, Jesus, I accepted you. I follow you. I serve you. Why won't you help me? And then she prayed this, God, if you won't help me, would you let me be the last one that this happens to? You ever pray and wonder where God is? I have. I don't know very many people who've lived long in life that don't wonder where God is at times. I like what one preacher said, when you can't track him, you can still trust him. She later found out, and she shared it with us last night, that right around the same time she was praying for God to help her, he spoke to a man named Carl in Ohio. And he whispered to him, remember now. She found out that that man and woman, his wife, were so gripped by the Lord for her that they left United States and went to Phnom Penh in Cambodia for six trips to find her and rescue her. And on the sixth trip, they, they found her. They rescued her. And he and his wife, Lori, adopted her as her parents in their hearts. They couldn't do it legally, but she calls them mom and dad. Now that's an incredible story already and if it ended there, it's just beautiful. <clears throat> but it's way bigger than that. God was up to something beyond what any of them knew. That Ohio businessman sold everything, moved to Cambodia and started building homes to rescue the children who were trapped in sexual slavery and child trafficking. New was the first employee for that ministry organization. Carl, to this day, doesn't take a salary. New now teaches the young ladies who come to these houses to do hair and nails so they can have an occupation and make it in life. And New 
is now traveling, not only speaking in the area where she's at, but telling her testimony here. Hundreds of girls' lives have already been changed, and I believe thousands more will be changed because of new. Rescued, coming to Jesus, taken away from the, the enslavement that held them. New slew the giant in her life. She trusted God in the very worst of circumstances and he rescued her. Someone brought up last night the story of Joseph. Do you remember that? He was accused of something he didn't do. He was innocent and he was thrown into prison. I mean, you gotta be wondering where God is when you did nothing wrong. You're accused of rape and everybody believes it. Take that to modern day. Someone's accused of rape and they're thrown in jail. Who wouldn't believe that they didn't do it. In our culture, everybody would when it's on the news. But he hadn't. And knew hadn't done anything wrong. But they trusted the Lord. And here's what God said about Joseph. Joseph's story. Joseph said it, and it was the Lord's, it's the Holy Scriptures. The enemy meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Yes, there's a devil. Yes, that's the devil's work. But God can take even the worst circumstances and spin it somehow to make, and, and swirl out to be this beautiful, amazing story of his grace and power, changing the circumstances and impacting many beyond personal circumstances. 1 Samuel 17.40 talks about David. He had to talk the king into it and say, hey, let me, let me go fight him. The Lord will be with me. The king led him and it says he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag and his sling in his hand. With sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now notice I said trust in the rock in the second half of this point. I wasn't talking about the rock in the slingshot. It was, a, it was a play on words. I was talking about the rock of ages. Please notice that there is not one little tinge of self-confidence in David's statements. All of his confidence is in the Lord. That should be a great lesson for every one of us when we face a giant. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, now listen to this young teenage boy, this day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the, or I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the Lord, the battle rather, is the Lord's. Stop there for just a moment. When it comes to the giant in your life, is the battle the Lord's or is it yours? Just give it to him. Give it to him and then ask him what he wants you to do. Let him lead you and guide you with his battle plan and his power will show up. David didn't say, I come in my own strength and power. He essentially said, I come in the strength and the power and the name of Almighty God and he will give you 
into my hands. It wasn't his own ability, it was God's ability. His confidence was not in self, it was in God. Now pick it up at verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag, taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead. They say that with the armor and the helmet they wore, there was only one spot that was vulnerable when you were fully armed like that. And it would be one where your eyes were open and there was a hole right there in the forehead so you could see and the stone found its way. I think David was skilled, but I think it was more than skill that guided that stone that day. That the power of God was with him. And let me just interject here for a moment. You know that spot where where I I prayed earlier that Samuel the prophet anointed David to be king. And it it talked about a, a, a horn full of oil that he anointed him with. The oil in the Old Testament is a, is a, a sign and a type of, of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And David, literally, the Spirit of God, when he was anointed, the Spirit of God came upon him. The interesting thing about the Old Testament is they didn't have the Spirit of God. All believers in God didn't have it. Just a few who were anointed. They had the power of the Spirit on them. Now, David might be emboldened by a measure of faith that the Lord gives because he's been empowered and anointed with God's Holy Spirit. But here's what I want you to know. Even though the Old Testament believers in God didn't have it, every believer in Jesus Christ is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have an advantage that our Old Testament uh, brothers and sisters didn't have. We have the power of God available to us in all of our circumstances, just like David did. And so when we say we don't stand in our own strength and power, we humbly rely on him. We call upon him. The spirit of God shows up. He empowers us. God gives us wisdom. And things happen that are well beyond us. And they keep happening if we keep our hearts humble and give God the glory for everything. David was moving by the spirit of God. And you can too. The same God. Now I want you to catch this. The same God that helped David is here to help you. That stone sank into his forehead. He fell down, face down on the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with sling and with stone. Without a sword in his hand, he, or rather, yeah, without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Don't tell me Christians are wimps. Now, you shouldn't cut off anybody's head. I just want you to know that that's, that's a physical story from the Old Testament that gives us a spiritual um, analogy or a, a spiritual impact. And, it's, and so what it means is whatever the big difficult thing in your life is, God, God can, can just destroy the work of the enemy incapacitate the enemy where the enemy can't destroy you greater is he that's in you the bible says than he that's in the world god helped david and the same god that helped david is here to help you today i believe that jesus has been walking the aisles of this place today i believe that his holy spirit is here to minister to hearts and to help us. And I want to encourage you today to decide that you will trust in God 
when you face the giants. That you'll trust him to give you strength to fight this battle that you face and the battles that are coming. Because he'll help you. 